going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. We have one of our long lost friends of the show yeah. back with us today, Amelia Furbish. What's up? Hello, hello. So those of you who uh, remember Amelia from early on, uh, when she was still yet a PharmD student, um, she was uh, on my rotation back in like, what, 2019, maybe? Yeah. So mm. it's been a long time. Yeah. That's like seven years ago. If you're a fan <laughs> and you've heard that episode, then you're, de- you're dedicated. Very. Yeah. It's true. Years long dedication. Or you just went back and looked at old episodes. That could also still be dedica- Still dedication. But we're going to pretend you're dedicated. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so Amelia has been uh, working on her PhD because um, you need two doctorates sometimes for the last few years. <laughs> Only and, if you're cool. Yeah, that's true. We need to get, the cool kids have two, two doctorates. <laughs> but uh, Doctor Doctor Furbin. Yes, that's true. Exactly. Or Everybody double doctor. If they didn't, they'd be insane. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Amelia's back with us today, and uh, Amelia, what are we going to be talking about? Um, so today, I would like to talk about. Um, serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity, uh, but specifically about um, psychedelics and how they um, how they apply to serotonin syndrome. So sort of what is the risk and is there a risk? Um, so yeah, that's sort of what I would like to talk to talk about today. Good deal. And we, Amelia, we're going to need you to talk louder. Okay, yeah. Because if I have to edit your cool. voice cool, the cool, whole cool, podcast, cool. I'll I'm remember to talk directly upset. into the mic. Perfect. You cool. have to with these. It's very annoying, but you have to. Um, all right. So is now let me ask you this with in your research and stuff for your PhD is, is what are you kind of focusing on primarily? Are you kind of doing a bunch of different stuff right now? Um, so my dissertation project um, is to it's I mainly do synthetic work. So I've been doing a lot of chemistry um, as well as a decent bit of biology. Um, but I'm looking at um, enzyme inhibitors uh, specifically for uh acute neuronal injury and um, potentially neurodegeneration as well. Um, But actually, so my new roommate, uh, my new roommate who, uh, her name's Meg, um, which hopefully you'll get to meet her uh, at some point soon. Uh, She is going to be looking uh, specifically at psychedelics. So that's been kind of cool to sort of talk to her about that project and sort of help her get started going in that direction. Is, is she a PharmD as well? Or? She is not. She is in the first year of her PhD. So she's got a ways to go. Yeah. She's, she's only going to have one doctor. Only one doctor. <laughs> Pathetic. <laughs> as we both have that. <laughs> now that's cool. Um, are they, is there a lot of like research being done at you know MUC or anywhere else locally that's looking at psychedelics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually reached out to um, Jennifer Jones, which uh, she's a physician at MUSC, and she does. Um, she was involved in the ketamine trials, and then also in the MDMA trials. Um, and then there's a lot of basic science research going on as well in this area. Um, but generally, uh, at the moment in time, um, we are in the psychedelic renaissance, um, and there has been a huge resurgence of um, interest in. Uh, psychedelics for the treatment of a variety of different disease states. Um, so research in this area um, is kind of exploding at the moment, um, and there's a lot of new papers, a lot of new research that has been coming out um, almost daily. Yeah, I have definitely been noticing more, uh, and I don't specifically like look for that in particular, but I have definitely been noticing more like Medscape articles and yeah. stuff like that. Every day Mike wakes up and says, what's the new psychedelic article that <laughs> yeah, came yeah. out today? I go, what can I learn about today? <laughs> I'm very, very, become very narrow in my research. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool too. If you look at the, um, like all of the companies that have started uh, synthesizing novel psychedelics, um, cause there's tons of them. I was actually kind of surprised by just, um, the amount that's out there at the moment. Are, are there any that are like close to being like FDA approved or like gone through, have they gone, have they been looking at these for quite a while? Yeah. So, um, not necessarily any novel compounds, but, um, I think probably the main ones that are in, I guess the clinical pipeline, um, would be psilocybin. Um, and then also DMT and five MEO DMT are probably the ones that I've seen, uh, the most frequently. Um, but yeah. And like when that actually comes into, 
practice, or I guess even during the clinical trials, especially with something like DMT. I mean, are they just doing, are they microdosing or are they giving them as part of their cognitive behavioral therapy or how they? So most that? of it is um, combined with um, psychotherapy. Um, and I don't know if I've seen any microdosing that is in clinical trials. Um, I'm sure that somebody's yeah. doing it. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, but generally they are giving full dose. Full dose. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I think, um, I worked with a student who did grand rounds on, I think it was MDMA. MDMA yeah. Right. And, and I'm pretty sure in the studies it was like dose the MDMA and then like chat with a psychiatrist while yeah. you're, well, yeah. I mean, it makes sense too. Like as far as kind of, I guess bringing your your walls down a little bit yeah. to actually open up. Um, I, I was listening to some guy talk about his experience, like actually being a patient going through like ketamine treatment yeah. and stuff for like severe depression and whatnot. And he said that, uh, um, I don't know this person, but I just was listening to him talk about it. And uh, he said that uh, he like in the middle of it, cause they were asking him like, is it weird to talk to a therapist when you're in that like weird vulnerable state kind of thing? And he's like, no, you kind of like forget that, you don't know this person and you start opening up and he's like, and uh, he's like, I pretty soon I forgot. I was just in my own little world and forgot I was even in, in a office. And he's like, uh, I got to like, he said he got to hug his mom and tell her that he loved her who had been passed away like for years. And like, wow. it just, I guess it really like flipped a switch for him and, and worked. So it's, it's just cool to hear like, you know, some of that stuff, you yeah. know, actually patient stories and stuff. Cause you know, the ketamine is one I feel like most people are more familiar with than some of these others, but it's, it's cool. Definitely. There's also sort of a controversy at the moment as to whether or not the psychedelic experience is necessary for the um, clinical benefits that we're seeing. So um, on one side, there's people that are saying, yes, like the psychedelic experience is what allows people to have sort of these like breakthroughs and combining that with um, psychotherapy and having the psychedelic experience is extremely important. And then there's other groups. Um, so I think that uh, specifically like Brian Roth's group is working on um there's like like creating uh, novel psychedelics that still have the clinical benefits that we're seeing but um, don't have the psychedelic experience um, so I think that's pretty interesting as well just in terms of um, what we're going to find with um, some of the newer compounds that are coming out as to whether or not um, the psychedelic experience itself like is it does important the same form. things in the brain but yeah like, but they don't experience, they don't experience, the experience anything yeah it's hmm. like um it's like taking the THC out of like marijuana and using the CBD kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's very cool. Yeah. That is, that is pretty, pretty great. I, I mean, when, when you first said that, I'm thinking, like, I was thinking like, uh, well, well, isn't that just what we've been doing? Like therapy without the experience, but that makes sense. When you give in the molecule, it doesn't actually elicit the hallucinogenic experience or whatever. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty cool. So what, it, what, uh, what is the, I guess the negative, you know, arguments towards like that kind of like what are people saying is a reason why they would oppose psychedelic therapy as far as why they don't want people to have the experience are they just doing research to see if it's necessary honestly i don't know um i guess i could speculate that potentially it has to do with uh societal stigma but um i could also see in the setting of um patients that are particularly anxious or don't want to have a psychedelic experience, but still want to have the benefits of um, like the what the drugs Almost do. Almost like the rewiring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that so, makes sense. Yeah. so being like just another patient-specific type thing to, to yeah. change, not necessarily that it's better to one way or the other necessarily. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like it's like semaglutide. You can take it orally or you can do the much better version and <laughs> take it once a week. <laughs> Both will kind of get you where you want to go. Yeah, that's cool. Great example, Mike. Yeah, thank you. I was just trying to, <laughs> just trying to participate. <laughs> just trying to feel like I'm important. Um, but uh, and I looked it up at the chat now. I don't have AJ here to read my chats for me. But uh, my, my buddy that I graduated with, um, Austin Averett, is uh, dropping all kinds of links and stuff in the, in the uh, chat on LinkedIn. So uh, what's up, Austin? Good to see you, man. Um, let's get him on the podcast. I don't think he's ever even been on. It's been a long time. We graduated like a hundred years ago. It feels like. <laughs> but uh, so, w what do you want to? What do you want to kind of go with your uh, your talk today? I mean, I, um, I, well, so first, I kind of wanted to talk about the role of pharmacists in this setting uh, because I think that as these are new therapies that are coming out. Um, 
we may not have received training on um, all of these medications. And um, I think that it's really important for pharmacists to be familiar with this because uh, if there's any drugs that people on the clinical team aren't uh, familiar with, that's who they're going to be looking to. Um, And I think that we may not have received training on it in pharmacy school, um, but I think that we have a huge role to play as these medications start coming on the market um, to sort of be the expert on um, understanding how these medications work, um, how what the dosing is, um, what potential side effects are, um, and sort of helping to guide uh, medication therapy. And I mean, is is there like documented drug drug interactions? Obviously, other than the serotonergic effects, but like, is there documented like interactions where it you know inhibits or induces one of the SIPs or peak like a protein or anything like that that's been like really note no, noteworthy? Not that I know of. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised. I know that um, some compounds have. Uh, or I think some compounds have overlapping uh, monoamine oxidase inhibition to some mm. extent, but it's not, um, I'd have to double check on yeah, that. I so gotcha. if you're listening to this, look it up as well, just to make sure. Yeah. Um, and that's the volume we got to stay on too. <laughs> that was perfect. Okay, good to know, good to know. Um, but other than that, it really is um, just sort of the serotonergic um, symptoms that you would sort of expect. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, So another thing that I did want to mention as well for people who are looking for resources in this area, um, there is an association, the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association, um, which is the leading nonprofit dedicated to pharmacists advancing psychedelics as medicine. Um, And their online community is growing, and um, we encourage everybody to join and be part of the conversation. Um, I am personally a member, as is Mike, um, and they have done a really great job of sort of bringing people together and putting out information on these topics um, so that pharmacists are able to stay up to date with um, the new literature that is coming out yeah, and and i just i just joined up a like a week ago so i haven't even had really time to mess with it too much but i did see like they have journal club on there they have um, blog posts where i guess like and you're writing one currently i think yeah yeah i'm currently writing a blog post specifically on psychedelics and the serotonergic toxidrome um so that should be coming out relatively soon so hopefully by the time this podcast gets posted uh the first part of that will also be posted nice yeah there's, there's definitely some good so if this is a you know topic that interests you as a pharmacist or any other healthcare professional definitely check them out i'm sure they let other healthcare professionals join if they wanted to absolutely right? absolutely um i have to constantly pretend like i'm a different thing <laughs> to join certain <laughs> groups <laughs> no but uh no that, it, it is a cool website it's it's how long have they been up and running it seems like it's fairly new it is fairly new i want to say that they've been around for at least a year i think it's over a year but um I don't know if they've been around for like two years. I think it's like just every year. Is it like a single pharmacist that started a group? Um, So I know that there's a group of uh, like founders that I think were pharmacists who were either working in this area or who were interested in this topic that sort of came together and founded the organization. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll put their information in the show notes. If you guys are interested in that, we'll put the website and check it out. Yeah. But y'all should absolutely join. (laughs) And we expect uh, a finder's fee um, if, the, if, the association <laughs> is li- if the association's listening. <laughs> so what, what uh, you want to talk through some of the serotonergic yeah. toxicities and things like that? Absolutely. Um, so give us a sneak peek to the blog. I guess the, uh, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was just serotonin syndrome as a whole. Um, and I think that generally there's a lot of misinformation um, and confusion both within the general population but also um, among professionals and clinicians Um, and I think that often we're introduced to serotonin syndrome as this um, single yes no it's this terrifying like life-threatening emergency that you're going to die from either you have it or you don't Um, but in reality uh it's more of a spectrum of toxicity that's associated with uh, serotonergic drugs. Um, 
But essentially what it is, is it's a state of increased uh, central and peripheral serotonergic activity uh, that's thought to be caused by excess stimulation of serotonin receptors, uh, predominantly 5-HT2A, which makes sense um, because that is the one that is associated with, I guess that doesn't necessarily make sense, but it is the one that is associated with um, like the psychedelic experience. Because that's what they they inhibit in a lot of the antipsychotics and things like that and for anxiety and stuff. So if you're Mm -hmm. activating that. I'm sure that's where the tachycardia and all that comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah. That makes, so it does make sense. Look at you selling, <laughs> selling yourself short. Um, but basically it's uh, characterized by uh, excessive neuromuscular excitation um, associated with profound muscle contractions, which leads to hyperthermia. Um, and if left untreated, um, this excessive muscle contraction can lead to life-threatening side effects such as uh, rhabdomyolysis, uh, metabolic acidosis, renal failure, seizure, coma, death. Um, so it is really important to um, notice these side effects and just be aware of what they are. Um and the medications that can cause them, uh, which are generally grouped into five different categories. So medications that inhibit serotonin reuptake, medications that increase serotonin synthesis, uh, medications that inhibit serotonin metabolism, um, ones that increase serotonin release, and ones that activate postsynaptic serotonin receptors. Um, And there's actually been a bit of debate about the last one in terms of medications that activate postsynaptic serotonin receptors, um, because uh, I've even read, um, there was actually a really great review article that made the point that um, in general, serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity is caused by um, a massive increase in serotonin in the synaptic cleft, but uh, that it's highly unlikely, if not impossible, for medications that um, bind to postsynaptic serotonin receptors to cause serotonin syndrome, um, which I would completely disagree with. Um, I think that it is significantly less likely for these types of medications to cause serotonin toxicity, um, but it's more often that, or I would agree with that more in the sense of typical serotonin receptor agonists, so something like triptans, um, a medication that's very unlikely to uh, result in serotonin toxicity. But um, there have been all sorts of reports of um, medications causing serotonin toxicity that are just postsynaptic uh, serotonin agonists. Um, And so we'll get into this a little bit more later on, but um, the risk of serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity with classic psychedelics, so thinking um, mescaline, DMT, um, psilocybin, um, LSD, is very low. Um, They're very unlikely to cause uh, serotonin syndrome. Um, but there are, because the like serotonin receptor signal, signaling is very complex, um, some medications that are within this are within the class, even if they act by the same mechanism, may have a different risk of causing serotonin toxicity. So even though something like um, like DMT or um, psilocybin has a very, very low risk of causing serotonin toxicity, um, certain uh, serotonin agonists such as um, the designer drugs in bombs have a much higher risk of causing serotonin toxicity, um, actually a very high risk, in fact. Um, and so even though they do act by the same mechanism, um, they have different risk assessment, I hmm. guess. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. It, I mean, serotonin syndrome as a whole is a very rare thing in general, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I usually think of it, um, you know, we, we see the it flash on our screen when we're checking drugs or right. putting orders in, you know, for two, three serotonin um, agonists. But a lot of times it's because patients maybe intentionally overdosed on, you know, yeah. serotonin yeah. drugs. And that's, yeah. So, like, there was a small study that came out, I think, of Canada in February um, looking at 2,200 patients admitted for um, overdose of SSRIs or SNRIs and the risk of serotonin syndrome with those, which was, I think they said... Um, Fourteen percent of mm-hmm. those develop serotonin syndrome, and that and that was in that, that was the one that was on up to date. Um, yes, the because th- there was just, what two, over two thousand patients in that twenty two hundred twenty two hundred, but fourteen um, percent because those were patients that actually like 
overdosed. had overdosed, right? I mean, yes. 14% is way lower than I would have guessed. If you were overdosing. Yeah. I actually, that was higher than I would have guessed, really? to be really? completely honest. In an overdose? Yeah. Wow. Well, because I think about when we learn about in pharmacy school, uh, you think about the... Um, the antidepressants that you would give or wouldn't give to somebody who's at um, like at risk of suicide, and you never learn. Oh, you wouldn't give right. Serotonin. You think TCAs? Yeah, exactly. Not like SSRIs. Yeah. yeah, and then another point too, just to like all of the pharmacists listening, as well as to both of you, you think about how many times um, patients will come up when you're just verifying meds, and you get that pop up that's like, oh, risk of whatever multiple serotonin agents or whatever mm-hmm. um have you ever actually intervened in that setting or do you just dismiss? oh yeah i have counseled on yeah if i saw like three or more but you know it's basically just to tell them to look out for this stuff you know yeah. that's all you can really do you don't usually call yeah. and say can't take this one because it's their turning yeah you know, it's just yeah. to talk to the patient about it see and i always have that like weird kind of middle ground where i'm like I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it because it is so rare and I don't want these people to not take their SSRI sure. all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean. No, I, no, I know you don't. I'm just saying like, yeah, I'm just from a, I guess my, that's my, been a personal right. kind of debate in my own head of like, do I need to make this bigger deal or like right. not risk them, you know, being non-adherent to their medication it's, in the first place. Yeah. For me, it's like, um, sometimes the warning is so big and scary that it's like, they want me to call the doctor, but I know that this is really rare, so I'll do the the slice the pie and just talk to the patient about it. So yeah. you just document that you talk you <laughs> talk to them, but did you though? <laughs> no, that's a good strategy. Yeah. Sorry, Amelia, we got off track. No. <laughs> we do this to ourselves too, but now we can do it to you. Um, I guess the the next thing uh, I would want to talk about is just uh, identifying what serotonin toxicity looks like um, because it does sort of have overlapping symptoms with um, anticholinergic toxidrome, um, NMS or neuroleptic malignant syndrome and malignant hyperthermia, um, as well as um, the stimulant toxidrome. Um, and so especially with um, things like uh, NMS or malignant hyperthermia, um, it can be kind of difficult to differentiate um, what the symptoms or what um, medication is associated with the symptoms. Um, And it is a hyperthermic um, toxidrome, Mm -hmm. so um, it's easy to confuse with these. Um, So I guess for the most easy one to rule out, I would say, would be the anticholinergic toxidrome. Um, The only real commonality, I guess, between these two would be that you can have hyperthermia um, and medriasis or um, dilation of the pupils. But um, in general, you um, aren't going to have increased neuromuscular tone, which is one of the main defining features of serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity. Um, And then it can be differentiated from neuroleptic malignant syndrome um, by the fact that um, you aren't going to have um, increased reflexes. You're actually going to have bradyreflexia um, in NMS, and you'll have normal or decreased bowel sounds. Um, and then for malignant hyperthermia, um, you, oh, I guess the other thing too is, um, for pupils, pupils, you're going to have, um, normal pupil size for NMS and malignant hyperthermia, whereas you're going to have medriasis, um, for serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity. Um, the issue with um, increased neuromuscular tone um, is that that overlaps with both NMS and malignant hyperthermia. Um, but the difference, the main difference, I guess I would say, is that with serotonin toxicity, um, you're going to predominantly see clonus, um, which is rhythmic muscle contractions. Um, whereas with NMS and malignant hyperthermia, you're going to see more rigidity. Um, although 
I was reading that in some cases, serotonin toxicity can be so severe and those muscle contractions can become so severe that it will sort of resemble rigidity, which makes diagnosis um, complicated. Um, But in most settings, it is going to be differentiated by the fact that you're going to have the rhythmic muscle contractions with serotonin toxicity um, and rigidity with something like NMS and malignant hyperthermia. Um, And then there's also a significant overlap with the stimulant toxidrome, um, but the difference uh, between serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity and um, stimulant toxicity is you're going to see um, different GI effects. So um, with serotonin syndrome, you're going to see salaria, I guess that's how I would say it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but sort of increased salivation, uh, potentially like foaming at the mouth, um, which is not something that you are going to see with um, stimulant toxidrome. Um, And with serotonin syndrome, you're going to have increased bowel sounds, increased GI activity, but with the stimulant toxidrome, you're going to have decreased bowel sounds. I don't know if this is um, characteristic of some of the other differentials, but um, one I thought was interesting was ocular clonus, which is like slow, continuous horizontal movement of the eyes. That'd be yeah. kind of concerning for me. <laughs> you know, I, I'd say it's right that, up that there. That wouldn't be with, a good day. Right up there with foaming at the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I go, uh-oh. Like if somebody's looking at me and it's going like this and their mouth is foaming and they're Yeah, I know. Not I'm good. Like, well, this person has rabies. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've made my diagnosis. <laughs> I almost specifically didn't say that because I was like, it sounds like rabies. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it does. Have we done something on rabies? Mm-mm. I swear we talked about rabies one time. Did we? I swear. Cole, you know that's your department. It you is. know what topics we've covered. I'll know by the end you, of the episode. You know that I don't involve <laughs> myself in that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it looks like. Yeah. So how do you treat it? Um, well, so I guess the next thing we would get into is diagnosis. Or, yeah, diagnosis. Um, so there, um, it technically is a diagnosis of exclusion. So, um, just because a patient, um, fits criteria, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity. Um, but the current standard for diagnosis is the Hunter serotonin toxicity criteria, um, which is actually relatively simple, um, but starts with, uh, has the patient had recent use or um, increase in serotonergic agents? Um, And then the first question is, do they have spontaneous clonus? Um, And if the answer is yes, serotonin syndrome. If no, um, it's do they have inducible clonus? or plus agitation or diaphoresis. Um, if yes, then serotonin toxicity. If no, um, then do they have tremor or tremor and hyperreflexia? Um, if yes, serotonin toxicity. If no, then are they hypertonic with a temperature over 38 degrees Celsius plus uh, ocular clonus or inducible clonus? If yes, serotonin toxicity. If not, consider alternative diagnosis. Um, but with that being said, even if a patient doesn't fit criteria for serotonin toxicity but do present um, in a way that is clinically concerning, obviously you should treat for serotonin toxicity regardless of whether or not um, they specifically fit the criteria. Um, And I think that there are like at least three different criteria for diagnosis that have been proposed, Um, but currently uh, the Hunter serotonin toxicity criteria are um, what is recommended just because they were developed based on the largest patient cohort and with the most um, data and with the highest uh, sensitivity and specificity. And for those who can't do the math in their head, like Mike, 38 degrees Celsius is 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, nice. which is traditionally considered a fever. You know what's hilarious is literally I made the joke in my head. I wonder how much that is. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, I'm not going to interrupt her with my stupidity. And then Cole hit me with it, and he's like, literally read my mind. That's exactly what I was like. Wow, I wonder how much, what that is in Fahrenheit. I don't feel like pulling out my calculator. <laughs> Only for our American listeners. Yeah. But we just decided to come up with our own measurements and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Like, now we're not going to use the same one that everybody else in the world uses. We need to be special. Exactly. That, no, that does, the algorithm that you were just looking at does seem very, the hunter's criteria seems very, like, simple to follow. I love simple flowing algorithms like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. My, my brain has to have something like that. If there's a lot of different differential stuff I'm going to look at, I'm like, ugh. Oh, that's too much. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I need a simple path. 
and hopefully it's easy to follow. Um, but I, I guess the, since, since clonus is the, uh, main, I guess, present presenting symptom of serotonin toxicity, um, it's important to recognize that, um, there is sort of a spectrum of, um, neuromuscular activation per se. Um, and some of it is mild. And then, um, as it increases in severity, that is what actually leads to the hyperthermia. So, um, the hyperthermia itself. So the, I guess the main concerning symptom is caused by this excessive muscle movement. Um, and in, a less severe setting, it may present as something like muscle tightness or twitching or nystagmus um, or grinding of the teeth, um, and then can escalate to um, br brisk reflexes or mild hyperreflexia, um, which again, not entirely concerning. Um, then from there, going to something like inducible clonus um, or ocular clonus. Um, followed by something more severe like spontaneous clonus and um, most severe would be sustained. So that's um, continuous muscle contractions that eventually lead to a severe hyperthermic state. Mm. And does not sound comfortable. No. Continuous muscle contraction. Um, no, no thanks. Definitely not. <laughs> no, I choose the one at the top. It's kind of like that one day when I had to hold the mic up the whole entire time. That was. You, you <laughs> were definitely Continuous clonusing. muscle contraction. Right. Severe was, risk of hyperthermia. It was intense. We Yeah, we were worried about him halfway through the episode. Look at AJ in the comments. What did he say? He says, I'm still here in mind and spirit. My goodness, AJ. Aww, oh, AJ. AJ. Yeah, we miss you, buddy. He's, <laughs> he's sick, apparently, at the doctor's office. Apparently. Allegedly. Allegedly. And he's still here in spirit, as he points out. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you feel better, AJ. Yeah. Get over it, AJ. <laughs> so what's next? What do you want to go from here? Like treatment. treatment? Yeah. What are we going to do for treatment? It's not too crazy, right? Not too crazy at all. Um, so essentially, treatment is supportive care and benzes. Um, uh, benzodiazep benzodiazepines are going to be sort of the mainstay of treatment and are going to treat um, agitation and um, beyond that. Um, there's not actually a specific benzodiazepine that is recommended, um, but it would be um, appropriate to sort of select a benzodiazepine based on um, severity of patient presentation and um, available route of administration as well as um, desired duration. I'd imagine they probably help with the clonus some too, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, definitely. And is that why they say like even if if they don't fully meet the criteria, like if, if there's still suspicion to go ahead and treat because that's all you're giving them is supportive care and benzos? Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. um, Makes sense. So... Um, I lost my train of thought, but, <laughs> but yeah, so obviously if a patient comes in and they're very agitated, um, benzos would be your yeah. first go to, yeah. um, it is sort of important to make a note as well that, um, there are a lot of, um, things that you shouldn't do if you suspect that the patient has serotonin toxicity. So for example, um, a patient presents with severe agitation, if you do suspect that it might be a ser serotonergic agent, um, it's better to use benzodiazepines for agitation as opposed to something like um, Haldol, mm -hmm. um, which is another general go-to for agitation in uh, the ED setting. Um, Just activate more serotonin. <laughs> more serotonin receptors. Yeah, probably not the best um, move. But yeah, so... Uh, that was one of the main ones that you would want to avoid. Um, and you would also want to, um, try not to use drugs with anticholinergic properties. So mm -hmm. again, like Haldol, um, but also avoid things like antihistamines. So, um, obviously diphenhydramine or hydroxyzine, um, because this can exacerbate hyperthermia and reduce diaphoresis. So obviously we don't want to make the main problem worse. Right. Um, and then also, and I feel this one is very important um, is that physical restraints should be avoided. Um, there have actually been some reports of some pretty 
or severe patient outcomes um, when physical restraints were used because it tends to um, worsen muscle rigidity or mm-hmm. muscle contractions and also worsen hyperthermia. Um, so Because they're fighting the restraints. Yeah. So benzo is not physical restraint. Um, and then, oh, I guess another one to avoid would be, or at least maybe not to avoid, but isn't going to provide any benefit is um, using something like acetaminophen or um, NSAIDs um, for fever is not going to be helpful just because um, the mechanism of hyperthermia is not the same as if you had a cold or the flu. Um, It's caused by this um, muscle contraction and using something like acetaminophen or an NSAID isn't going to be um, helpful at reducing uh, hyperthermia. Right. Um, I guess the other thing that you can use um, is ciproheptadine, which is a a serotonin 2A antagonist um, and is recommended in cases of moderate to severe serotonin toxicity. And I I guess that's one that probably would throw, I feel like can throw people off because technically speaking, it's an antihistamine. Right. But it it does obviously have a lot more activity at 5-HT2A than others would um because yeah. i think which i think hydroxyzine does as well though it's, does it yeah it's an antagonist of 5-ht2x which is why i guess it works in anxiety and stuff like that okay so interesting so i had just added hydroxyzine as a potential thing to avoid because oh, it was oh you added this. yeah I'm i added this, that like, yeah, nice yeah so <laughs> i'm reading expert interesting. opinion <laughs> i need to update my blog post <laughs> yeah so i mean that's because that's um why like that one in particular they kind of use for like the setting of general anxiety disorder and whatnot, because it does have that 5-HT2A antagonism along with the sedation properties and stuff. Oh, that's very cool. And I, I, I was thinking about it the other day, too. This We're way off topic, but as we talked before we started recording, I've been on this this receptor kick lately, but I think that with the ciproheptadine, too, I believe you get a lot of um, uh, 5-HT2C, is it, I guess, inhibition, to, to, which is why it's an appetite stimulant. No idea. Because um, they'll use that for, like, people who have poor appetites. Like, patients have really yeah, poor appetite. Yeah, yeah, um, If they're trying to avoid, like, mirtazapine or something, they'll give ciproheptadine because it does increase appetite. But I think that's why it's because it activates or blocks, I guess, the serotonin. It blocks, increases, whatever mirtazapine is. I have to double-check <laughs> myself. But um, 5-HT2C in particular is the big one. That's very cool. Nice. Just me and Amelia, just two <laughs> medicinal chemists. <laughs> I'm just over here like, yeah, y'all got it. Exactly. Or something like that. I should get a PhD. We talked about this last time. We'll give you an honorary PhD. That'd be awesome. Core Consult RX will award you an honorary PhD. That's a good idea. (laughs) I've cleared it with everybody involved. (laughs) AJ says no. Dude, no. He's definitely not getting one from us. That's funny. In fact, we're taking his future PhD away from him. Um, I feel like there was another thing. Oh, um, so... In patients that present with really severe hyperthermia, um, so uh, 41.1 degrees Celsius or 105.98 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, higher than we'd like. <laughs> yes, definitely higher than we would like. Um, it's recommended to um, complete like sedation, paralysis, and intubation. Is that, if someone were to you know, pass away due to serotonin syndrome, is it... Is it- coming from the complications due to hyperthermia yeah so i guess the major concerns that accompany serotonin toxicity that would potentially lead to death is going to be um the severe muscle contraction which leads to this hyperthermia um and then a whole host of issues that comes along with that so uh rhabdo um uh, metabolic acidosis um, lactic acidosis um but then also um, there is autonomic instability as well, which, oh, I guess I should talk about treatment of that as well. So predominantly you're going to see um, an increase in heart rate and blood pressure, but um, there have been reports of just massive changes in um, blood pressure and heart rate. So um, they actually recommend using um, short-acting um, antihypertensives as opposed to longer ones in um, the a setting of acute serotonin toxicity, um, just because there is there can be large swings in um, in autonomic autonomic instability. Um, 
So in terms of treating um, blood pressure for blood pressure control, um, UpToDate actually recommends nitroprusside. Hmm. Um, and also um, alternatives include um, beta blockers such as Esmolol. Um, but particularly in, and I, I threw in MDMA to be discussed here sort of as well, even though technically it's not a classic psychedelic. Oh, I thought you meant as a treatment. Oh, that, <laughs> seems, that seems like a poor, poor idea. <laughs> Do you know what? This will really help this person, some MDMA. <laughs> Definitely. Their serotonin syndrome will clear right up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, and in MDMA toxicity, the use of beta blockers is um, kind of controversial because there is some concern of um, unopposed alpha adrenergic activity, which can potentially lead to coronary artery basis spasm. So mm-hmm. um, beta blockers can be used, but um, just making sure that you're um, aware of appropriate selections and... Um, I guess, deciding in the setting of what you think the intoxication is and um, what the half-life of the drug you would like to use as, as well as the um, receptor selectivity subtype of the beta blocker that you're going to choose. That's cool. Uh, the nitroprusside was kind of surprising. I, I, what would you use? No, I mean, that, I mean, heck if I know. <laughs> but um, the uh, it just kind of... That one wasn't what I was what I was expecting. I guess so. This is more thinking in like the setting of the emergency department because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. wanting something that um, is a short acting antihypertensive agent um, that could theoretically be given like IV mm-hmm. um, and isn't a beta blocker. Yeah, which makes... it's it, which I to clarify not to say that you can't use beta blockers, but just in the specifically talking about nitroprusside as right. a yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't have guessed that one. Um, but yeah, so I guess the next thing to talk about would actually be um, psychedelics and how psychedelics sort of play into um, serotonin toxicity. Um, and so one of the main things that I wanted to point out here was um, just sort of clarifying um serotonin syndrome and differentiating that from serotonergic side effects because there is sort of this overlap between someone with serotonin toxicity is going to be having severe serotonin side effects Um, but just because a patient does have um, serotonin side effects that you would sort of expect with a serotonergic medication doesn't necessarily mean that they have serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity. Um, And so one thing that I did was I pulled up some clinical trials just to see, okay, so in patients that are being treated with psychedelics, what symptoms do you see people presenting with? Um, Because there haven't been any reports of serotonin toxicity in any of the clinical trials that have dealt with psychedelics. Um, Again, like I said, the risk of serotonin toxicity with psychedelics um, or classic psychedelics is very low. Um, But obviously, you are going to see things like um, altered mental status which we would expect, um, medriasis, um, bruxism, so dilated pupils or teeth grinding. Um, and you can see small increases in blood pressure, heart rate, and body temperature. Um, and this doesn't necessarily mean that they're severe or concerning, um, but it is possible to see these changes just because the patient is on a serotonergic medication. Um, Another, I don't know if I mentioned um, GI effects, so nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, and then this is with psychedelics. I specifically looked at LSD and psilocybin. Um, and then with MDMA, even though it's not a classic psychedelic, it does have that serotonergic activity. Um, and again, you're going to see altered mental status. Um, patients actually reported more muscle tightness. 
Um, also, um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, diaphoresis, um, sweating, um, dilated pupils, bruxism, teeth grinding. Um, there was also some reports of nystagmus, muscle twitching, um, and then again, increased blood pressure, heart rate, and um, mild, very, very small increases in body temperature. Um, but again, these aren't necessarily symptoms that would be concerning for serotonin toxicity, just serotonin side effects in general. Um, but what you would be more concerned about is a patient that is presenting with very severe agitation um, and profound increase in neuromuscular activity, because again, we're mostly concerned about that excessive uh, muscular contraction leading to hyperthermia. Um, and then also uh, extreme or progressive changes in vital signs. So um, overall autonomic instability that would be um, extremely concerning. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the last thing I sort of wanted to get into was, um, the overall risk of serotonin syndrome with classical psychedelics, um, particularly the ones that are most likely to come on the market and be, um, like progressed through clinical trials, um, the soonest. Um, and I also wanted to um, mention, uh, I found a really good resource. Um, there was another pharmacist uh, named Benjamin Malcolm, um, actually has, uh, aka the Spirit Pharmacist, has a website and also recently um, published a review article on um, psychedelics and the serotonergic toxidrome um, that I would highly recommend. Um, it was the by far the best re review article that I was able to find um, in the literature. Um, and he also has some really great online resources um, that discuss uh, how to manage um, or medication management in the setting of um, therapeutic psychedelic use. So what do you do for a patient who um, wants to receive treatment but is currently on an SSRI or um, things of that nature? And uh, so I would highly recommend both uh, reading that review article and going to his website and looking at those resources if you are interested in this topic. Um, but yeah in the studies that you've looked at like do they typically stop their other behavioral health meds when they do some kind of psychedelic therapy yeah so um i think that in the mdma trial they did taper patients off of um ssris but what's actually kind of interesting is um so i guess the specifically talking about mdma and in comparison to uh, classical psychedelics, which are going to be working as um, 5-HT2A agonists, MDMA works as a releasing agent. So um, it inhibits VMAT2, which um, is what packages uh, serotonin into synaptic vesicles. And then it also increases, so overall increasing serotonin within the um, the terminal. And then it also um, acts as a releasing agent. So um, almost like, so it essentially reverses the, um, the serotonin transpor transporter. Um, so pumping serotonin out into the synaptic cleft. Um, and technically SSRIs actually decrease the activity of MDMA. Um, because they're also working on the serotonin transporter. Um, so, uh, they almost have a protective role in uh, serotonin toxicity associated with MDMA, um, which is kind of counterintuitive um, if you're thinking about just combi combining serotonergic drugs. Um, so I think that that was actually the main reason that they tapered patients off of SSRIs was not because of concern for uh, serotonin toxicity, but actually concern for um, decreased efficacy of the medication. That makes sense. And that's in the MDMA trial specifically? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Someone was pointing that out in the, although it's the, it's the person on YouTube that has that great SIP 2D6 name, but, <laughs> but they were pointing out uh, that, that those points as you were, were going through them. So that was oh, very cool. good timing. Um, yeah, that's Wait, that's somebody's username? Yeah, I know. 
That's <laughs> I know it's the most nerdy one ever, and I love it. <laughs> that's actually that used to be that used to be my username for everything. Really? Maybe yeah. that's the person that hacked you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. They took your YouTube account. That's hilarious. That's really really funny. Oh my that's god. That's funny. You guys are such dorks. <laughs> um, I call two C nineteen. Three four. Can't believe no one's taking that one. Oh my god, I love that. Whoever you are, sip two D six. I support that username. That's great. <laughs> Huge fan. It metabolizes all the good drugs. There you go. Um. So, uh, I the last thing I kind of wanted to do was just go through a brief, um, risk assessment of some of the commonly used uh, psychedelic medications. So, um, the main ones that I wanted to go over were uh, DMT, MDMA, uh, psilocybin, and five MEO DMT. Um, so. I guess the main thing to consider here is um, there is going to be uh, differing effects just because uh, serotonergic signaling is complicated. Um, and so each new medication, as they come onto the market, um, it's important to assess each one individually because even though the risk of serotonin toxicity with the current drugs that are being studied is very low, um, that doesn't mean that's that it's a full class effect. So um, even drugs that act by the same mechanism um, may or may not have an increased risk. Uh, so for DMT, um, risk of serotonin toxicity, very low. Um, and not only is it low because of the activity of the drug itself, um, but also because you have to consider factors of half-life. Um, so DMT specifically, very short half-life, the likelihood of developing severe neuromuscular excitation to the point where you end up with life-threatening hyperthermia when the activity of DMT is only like 15 minutes or so is going to be very, very low. Mm -hmm. um, the same goes for 5-MeO-DMT, even though it does have theoretically a higher risk of serotonergic toxicity because the half-life half is very short, um, the likelihood of developing life-threatening serotonin toxicity is low. Um, the risk of toxicity with MDMA is slightly higher um, just because it does um, increase serotonin in the synaptic cleft pretty, very significantly. Um, but again, uh, risk is still low, especially in the clinical setting um, at doses that are currently being used. Um, same goes for psilocybin, risk very low. Um, the one thing that I would add, though, is um, there is an increased risk when these medications are combined with monamine oxidase inhibitors. Um, so obviously, if we're thinking about drugs that are concerning for developing serotonin toxicity, uh, MAOIs is going to be one of the major drugs that we're concerned about. Um, so when psychedelics are used in combination, you do have an increased risk. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to mention was um, I sort of have talked about how um, it is a single drug assessment that needs to be made as opposed to a class effect. Um, and N-bombs are um, a I guess, designer drug that um, are currently being marketed on the internet. Um, and they do have a very high risk of serotonin toxicity. Um, so even though they have the same mechanism of binding to uh, 5-HT2A, um, they do actually do have a very significant um, incidence of serotonin toxicity. That's cool. And that, that definitely makes sense with the DMT you know, half-life and all that being so short. Um, our, our, uh, our buddy 2D6 said that um, also worth noting, SSRI therapy was discontinued in psilocybin studies as efficacy was measured against these agents. So psilocybin plus SSRI versus uh, monotherapy SSRI would produce inaccurate results. So that's that's good. Thank you, Sip Two D Six. And funny enough, the Sip Three A Four is actually my username <laughs> and most other platforms. That's hilarious. Wait, that's, that's a awesome. Funny. That's great. So now all you have to do is guess his password. Yeah, we can get it back now. That's awesome. We did we did we did nail the original Sip Two D Six and Sip Three A Four. That's great. <laughs> um, and then uh, James Glass says, "Brilliant talk. How, have to jump. Thanks, y'all. Look at that, Amelia. You got you're Thank building you. the fan base." <laughs> 
So, um, no, that's great. Where, where would you like recommend people go besides obviously the, you know, take it up farmers association, but where else would they, do you have any like go-to resources that you do for like keeping up to date with this kind of research? Um, I guess it depends on what exactly you're looking for. Um, what I think is really cool about these medications, um, being used as therapeutics is they have been around for a very long time and there is a large amount of information and data on them. Um, and so even though it's more recent that it's coming about in um, scientific and clinical literature, there's a lot of really great information um, from, I guess, non-scientific sources, um, which is very unique. Um, but I guess for clinical trials, I'm not really sure I would follow like the Psychedelic Pharmacist Association on LinkedIn um, or um, I'm trying to think of just ways to get updated about that. There's lots of groups that generally put out um, some of the emerging research. Um, if you're interested in looking at um, just sort of an overarching um description of the individual drugs themselves, I would recommend uh, Psychonaut Wiki. That's actually my favorite go-to when it's not in Lexicomp, but is a drug that um, has been used commonly by the general population. Uh, Psychonaut Wiki does an exceptional job of going over um, side effects, dosing, uh, potential risks. Um, I think I mentioned last podcast that they even have the little like boxed warning for drugs that need to be um, used very carefully or may cause severe side effects. So I think that they've done a really good job of being very professional with that. Um, do they, I guess, do they edit their the content that gets put on there, or do, they, or do they put the content on based on what people have sent them and well, clandestine so chemists have given them? It's like a, it's since it's like a wiki, they, uh, you have to create a username and password. And then, um, once you're able to like, once you're registered to make content, you're able to make content for the site and then it will generally be like approved and then posted. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, can I don't know if you can read? I can barely read that. The two uh, D six said, uh, "Does your fantastic guest have any information on ketanserin? Uh, I think is what that is." Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. What it's a uh, clinical trials as huh. five HT two A antagonist. I'm gonna look it up though. Really, I think you got a friend. <laughs> hey, step two D six. Yeah, both passionate about the stuff. It's good. That's awesome. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll, and I'll link that website you were just talking about, um, the wiki Psychonauts in yeah. the show notes as well. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. So do you, do you feel like this area of, of research is where your future lies? I hope so. Um, I would really like to continue research in this area, um, just depending on where I can get a postdoc. So if you're <laughs> listening and have a postdoc position available, hit me up. <laughs> um, but I would really like to get into um, the, particularly in the setting of toxicology, I would like to work on um, the synthesis and analytical characterization of um, novel psychoactive substances. So I think that that's a really unique way to um, combine both my medicinal chemistry training along with um pharmacy training just mm -hmm. because uh it gives some sort of clinical aspect to it of people that are actually using these drugs and being able to um provide the uh, analytical spectra for um potential clinical use or toxicologic testing um and also being able to do synthesis yeah no, that's awesome the best way to find a job is the core consult arts podcast <laughs> if you find work. me a job i'm telling you <laughs> we're, we're actually we're second only to link or um indeed if for, yeah. for, 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 for job searches so we're pretty soon we'll be the top one that's that might be a little bit fabricated <laughs> that'd be hilarious if you got one though i'd be like wow we've really accomplished some stuff out. here i'm yeah. like wait a minute why didn't we call and ask i need to get some jobs with this. <laughs> no that's very cool um, anything else you want to make sure we discuss today, Amelia? Um, Sorry you had to do all the talking, so. but this is not our area. No, this was fun. This is all the stuff that goes on in my head that most people don't <laughs> really like to hear about anyways. So <laughs> it's been great for me. No, that's awesome. 
So, uh, Amelia, thank you for coming back with us again. I think this is episode four you've, or the fourth episode you've been yeah. with us. That's awesome. So, uh, our buddy Brian Gilbert has five. I think he has the record. He's got the record. So, just come back next week and yeah. kick, him, kick him off the throne. we got to do the miniseries. Yes. I'm telling you, you got to get Jordan and Beg back on here. Yeah, yeah, we definitely can do that. Um, maybe as a YouTube spot you know, or something, but that'd, yeah. be, that'd be great. I would love to do that. Because I feel like the mini, the mini little series, that are, the, not in this space that I've done, but like with just like different vitamins and things like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that always does really well. Yeah. On, People like it. Yeah. So yeah, we'll Very do that. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to help. I'll, <laughs> I'll run the audio. <laughs> just let you talk, but uh, I'll do my best. But uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. I, I hope that was uh, interesting for y'all. Um, Amelia, where uh, can people find you if they have more questions? Um, good question. To put you on the spot. Uh, I mean, I think my, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I also still sometimes post on Happy Pills, so um, inst- Instagram. I've actually posted a couple on TikTok, but they've been more, I've been formulating, not doing chemistry, so, yeah. although I guess that's chemistry. So. Every time I see, like, you, like, doing something in the lab, um, I, like, it'll show up on Instagram or something, I'm just like, man, my, my day is so much more boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not creating anything today. <laughs> well, 90% of my reactions, I feel like they never work anyways, so. Yeah, they look cool, though. That's what happens when I make jokes. Yeah. Not, not good reactions. 90% of them just don't land. 90% of those reactions are negative. That's funny. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have any questions for Cole or myself, not necessarily on this topic, but uh, if you need to track down Amelia other than LinkedIn or something and you want to go through us, by all means, email, uh, Instagram, any of the other social media platforms. You can text us at the number in the show notes, um, whatever you prefer, and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Um, we do our best to answer everybody. I'm sure we missed some, but we're trying to trying to be uh, thorough with catching emails and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely check that out and uh, check out Amelia's page, uh, Happy Pills. Even if she doesn't post that much, it's still Happy good. Happy Pills RX, just like Core Consult RX. There you go. <laughs> definitely a, a good page on Instagram. And uh, if you want more like traditional style uh, lectures instead of like the, you know, all over the place podcast format that we do, um, check out patreon.com slash core consult RX. And I, I do a lot of my pharmacotherapy lectures on there along with PowerPoint slides and all that good stuff. Um, check that out. And until the next episode, we'll see you guys. Have a great one. And join the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association. Yes. Do that now. Okay, bye. <laughs>